Si j'avais eu le pouvoir de Hiro Nakamura Je serais parti voir Martin Luther King Après son discours lui montrer la photo de Barack Obama J'aurais été au temple d'Arlem Poussé mal comme de la scène avant qu'une balle atteigne J'aurais été dans la cellule de Mandela Pour lui dire tiens le coup Tes idées seront président du Sud-Africa Amoureux de Lady Diana J'aurais créé un gigantesque bouchon sous le pont de l'Alma J'aurais aimé voyager à travers le temps Welcome to the 28th episode of Zero Hour Strikes, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event, Zero Hour Crisis in Time, every issue, every tie-in, every zero issue. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And in this episode, we look at Green Lantern-related titles. Not just Green Lantern, Guy Gardner Warrior, and Dark Stars number zero, but also 1995's Green Lantern Silver Surfer Unholy Alliances. <gasps> which has some zero-hour connections, Bess. I know. So surprised. I, I was not planning on this. I don't know how I came across the connection, but I, I went, okay, no, I must include it. And even when I said we, we, I would include it, I had not yet read it, and I thought, well, maybe it's going to be very slim. But no, I think it's correct to cover it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked about all these books before, and mm -hmm. I remember you signifying that you were a fan of Kyle Rayner as Green Lantern. Yeah, I am, actually. You like these young heroes, these uh, these replacements. <laughs> I don't always like them, but there's something about Kyle that kind of struck, struck something in my heart. Maybe it's just timing. Maybe I was in a certain headspace when I first read Kyle Reiner, but it just clicked and I liked him. For me, he's the same kind of character as a Dick Grayson or a Wally West. You don't really call him Green Lantern. You call him Kyle Reiner. Mm. And he's become uh, the White Lantern. He's been Ion. He's been all kinds of stuff, but he's always Kyle Reiner. And, and, and that character kind of stands out more than others and unlike the two that you mentioned he was never a sidekick before yeah 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 he i, I mean he's kind of incredible he's been dropped gantet dropped a ring on his lap and said do your best and <laughs> and that's basically his origin story he was at the right place at the right time i guess and great power was you know given to him out of the blue or out of the hand of a blue guy. It just came out of nowhere and he just tried his best. And I think, I think I enjoyed that part of him that he tries. Truthfully, I'm learning more about him than I ever really knew through these issues. Like I, I've read some comics that are much later, you know, basically the JLA stuff, obviously, but also uh -huh. post ion stuff. You know, I, I've seen Cal Rayner as more of an adult or less of a rookie through the coverage of these issues, which I'd never read before, I'm getting much more out of him. And I, I agree with your assessment. Like it's still early days for him here uh, as issue number zero came out between 55 and 56. And Kyle only became GL in number 50. So it's the first six months. I mean, we'll, he'll have a bright future. As you mentioned, the series will last until issue 181 with Kyle in the role. Nice. So another 10 years of this series, you know, in an era where they go back to number one very often. This is yeah. surprising. Uh, he would be a member of Grant Morrison's JLA. And even after Hal Jordan returned in 2005, Kyle stuck around 
just like Jon Stewart did. The beauty of the Green Lantern Corps concept, I guess, even though that was gone in 1994, which uh, will be important here. So Green Lantern number zero by Ron Mars, Daryl Banks, and Romeo Tangal. It's called Second Chances, and it really is second chances for a couple of characters here. So to escape the end of Zero Hour, Parallax Hal Jordan did some technobabble thing to vortex himself to Oa, which was sitting outside the universe at the time. Cal Rayner was drawn along. Hal hopes to recharge his powers using the planet's green energy so he can go right back to undoing all the evil he's done. Hearing the story, Kyle who has never been too sure about the whole Green Lantern thing anyway, gives him a second chance, his ring back. But as soon as he has it, though Hal returns to his Green Lantern costume, you think, oh, hero again? No, he's right back to his obsession with retconning everything. To prevent Kyle from interfering, Hal attacks him, but Kyle recovers the ring after ambushing Hal in the Green Lantern crypts. Parallax tries to entice Kyle with an avatar of his girlfriend, Alex, and a promise of happiness, but Kyle can't let him do it, not this way. And seeing it as the only way to stop Parallax for good, he overloads the power battery and makes Oa explode. So after Hal Jordan no, no longer Green Lantern, the Green Lantern Corps destroyed, you know, and now they destroy Oa. So they're really saying new era of the book. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, it screams reboot. Really does. So uh, let's look at this comic uh, first, the cover. What did you think of this one? It's got uh, Kyle is in a green bubble, and the bubble is held by a gigantic parallax. You know, it's a strong image. It looks like either parallax is trying to crush Green Lantern. It, it also looks like maybe Green Lantern is just resisting. It, it kind of looks also like an egg. Where all of a sudden, you know, something else is going to come out of it. it maybe a little bit of symbolism in there. It's very green. Very green. That was <laughs> that was my main note. It's too green. To me, it's like it seems to wash away and it drains the image of contrast. That often happens. The Green Lanterns, I mean, when everything goes nuts, everything is green and it's different shades of green. And in here, I mean, if we're looking at it, there's this weird thing that happens where Kyle has like his fists up in the air and Parallax's jawline, jaws and, and mask, kind of looks like he has wings coming out of him. So, you know, we kind of have this uh, angel-type image going on. But it's very green. I don't know what it would have looked like necessarily if the the ink job, like everything except Green Lantern here, the inking is green. There's no blacks. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. maybe what's missing. And they're trying to make it like the light is very powerful and turning everything green. To me, this is one of the most boring ones in color. In black and white, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's talk about the issue. Uh, what uh, You know, the interiors. So what did you think of this uh, story? This is very much the epilogue to uh, Zero Hour. Very much so. And it still feels like we're in this nowhere space I mean, we know we're on Oa once we see all the dead guardians, and but it still feels like it's in the middle of nowhere. It's basically one big fight, one big fight that just goes on and on. There's this weird thing. <laughs> Within five panels, Kyle, just during their fight, he hears all of Jordan's, uh, you know, sob story. 
And, and I mean, I, I call it vulgarly a sob story, but it's, I mean, it's very tragic. And Kyle hears this and all of a sudden, I mean, he's been fighting this guy forever now, um, goes, oh, I never realized how much pain you had. So uh, here's my ring. Yeah. Well, you say five <laughs> panels. It's a bit of hyperbole. It's like page eight. What it is, it's it's not just a fight, although it's a fight and then there's a break and then there's a, it continues to fight. And we want to see this confrontation, I think. But yeah, but it's also a philosophical discussion about whether or not the ends justify the means. And if, you know, is Hal Jordan still a hero at the core of him? Because you could say, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the old, uh, well, it's not so old, but it's not as old as this. But, you know, Thanos was right. That discussion, yeah. which I don't think Thanos was right at all. But the. <laughs> well, we can talk about it in the next issue. Yeah, really. some, yeah some people think Thanos was right uh, or like yeah. to say that. And I think that just shows how, how much our society has gone astray in terms of morality but is parallax still a good guy or a hero whose means are not not as good as his ends so he wants to reboot the universe so that he can fix essentially and this is the first time we really get into it here because in zero hour he just wants to undo it all and and you know he's going you know this death and this death but here it's really more about the things that he's done it's like not just coast city which he wants to restore but through this this storyline, he ended up destroying the Green Lantern Corps and killing all his friends. Uh, you know, yeah. you got the gory skull of Kilowog in there, which gets destroyed, pulverized, and somehow Kilowog will return anyway. But it's comics. <laughs> but but essentially, he destroyed. All, he killed all the Guardians, and he killed the, the other Green Lanterns, and he kind of left yeah. the universe without its police force as a result. And he wants to undo that. He wants to undo his own evil. Not just yeah. various evil acts that have been committed in the recent past that have sort of destroyed his psyche. So is is he a good guy? If you know, is that a heroic act to try and reboot the universe to undo it? That's the thing. Uh, I don't. <sighs> if Superman did it, would it be good? <laughs> no. Yes. I, well, maybe it would because I think like we don't know yet that Parallax <laughs> is a virus inside the power battery that has infected Hal, and so Hal has evil inside him that is essentially something that is corrupting him, that is not him. If it were Hal Jordan rebooting the universe, you might be able to accept that. But as Parallax, he did so many bad things. And one of those reasons is that, you know, his ring and then himself were corrupted by this virus. Then you can't trust him to reboot the universe. I think I would trust Superman at the end of a storyline to reboot the universe. If Superman stayed true to Superman, maybe. But here, Hal Jordan, the parallax entity corrupting him. Well, at this point, we don't know this. But even if it was Hal Jordan and he decided to put aside everything he believes in and goes on destruction rampages and killing rampages but the ends the very end the deed that has to be done is undoing everything he's done to create something better well that's just that's just impossible because he can never undo what he did i I think he he because of these actions he lost the right he can't fix it the stories will show that he can't but i i think that like say if the story were rewritten completely and you would have hal jordan maybe creating the circumstances for a reboot he would have to give power over to a good person of course and that good person would recreate the universe or fix the problems but it wouldn't be in parallax's image because i think hal 
he lost the right to do that. He lost the right to impose any kind of his own order on the universe. I mean, that's a thing because we decide that because of our moral judgment. But more than that, if he reboots, he stays, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not going to reboot himself. You can't do that. He has to be the guardian of the recreation of everything. And he will remember that he did those things. Not only he w will he remember, he's going to embody it. He's still going to be the man who destroyed everything, even if he did recreate it. And then... How do we justify that recreation if it was done by destruction or the means to do it was taken within just destruction? It's dirty at, at that moment. These actions can never be undone because of the dirtiness of the recreation. Mm. I mean, it's more than just he's lost the right. He just can't do it. It's impossible. It has to be somebody who, who who's clean, who has no horse in that race who, who has no agenda and i think there are there would have been people who could have done that i've mentioned superman because he's supposed to be the epitome but tom kamalku who was his sidekick or you know is a good person yeah. who was in the new guardians could have been also in fact when oa does return in something called Green Lantern Legacy, The Last Will and Testament of Hal Jordan in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Tom Kamalku who uses a, a Green Lantern ring to rebuild that planet. So I, I feel like, yeah, he should have been brought in. Hal Jordan should have been self-aware enough. Of course, it's Hal Jordan, so no. But self-aware enough to say, this can't be my project. You know, this can't, I can't be the one at the controls. It needs to be a more selfless yeah. person at this point, someone who isn't tainted, someone who doesn't have anything to gain. You can't be self-aware if you're power hungry. Because, I mean, these are opposites. The end of this, destroying Oa yeah. and Kyle seeing it as the only possibility and sort of Parallax perhaps being killed in this conflagration. In his own little monologue, interior monologue, he says, you know, I'm Green Lantern, you better get used to it. Hal's gone. Those are some of the words that are used in that, that last yeah. page. And I'm wondering, this is my question to people out there. Were there still holdouts out there who thought that Hal Jordan would be redeemed in the story or, you know, soon after his fall, after Parallax, after Zero Hour? Were there people who thought, you know, Hal Jordan will be redeemed? Or was everybody already, like, it's too obvious that Cal Rayner is the new Green Lantern, even though it's been six months. Because we, we'd had like short-lived replacements in the recent past. You know, the four oh, people yeah. who took over for Superman were in that role for only a few months. Azrael wasn't Batman forever. Thank God. <laughs> you know, the, the US agent wasn't Captain America for, you know, for more than a year or whatever. So yeah, these yeah. storylines tend to end uh, and then you need something like Barry Allen's death, which seemed permanent for Wally West to take over. And that, you know, and, and number one, Flash number one is Wally West. So you're thinking, okay, yeah, no, this, this is true. This has happened. But with Hal Jordan, he's still around. It's just he's been put out of the action. Like Batman was a broken back. Superman was his apparent death that we knew would, wouldn't stick. You know, Captain America, the government told him, give us back the shield, stuff like that. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. And for Hal Jordan is that, he became Parallax, he became insane after Coast City was destroyed. You can also undo that within the six months. Yeah. It wasn't a new Green Lantern number one. It was, you know, number 50, change of the guard. Okay, six months later, Cal Rayner gives him back, you know, in the middle of this issue, Cal Rayner gives him back his ring, he takes back his own costume. Did anyone think 
Hal Jordan is going to be redeemed at this point. Oh, probably a lot of people. Not a lot of people are going to admit it, but yeah, I think everybody thought that Al would be back. I wonder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just because of the mask. Just what, the crab <laughs> just mask? because of the crab mask. Oh, yeah. You think people thought, oh, this isn't permanent because the costume is so different. They're not going to stick yeah. to that. It's like the Azrael, the Azbat's armor. Like, that's not Batman. That's not going to stick. Exactly. I think a lot of people were saying, this is not Green Lantern. He's not going to stick around. They're going to bring back the old suit and the old guy and the white in the hair and everything. <laughs> I think a lot of people, I might be completely wrong, but I think a lot of people thought Hal would be back. Well, if you're listening to this and you were reading Green Lantern in 1994, let us know. Did, yeah. did you have, were, were you doubting it or were you reading Wizard Magazine and it was like so obvious that they were, you know, moving on, Although you know, maybe you got spoiled by the catalogs and you knew that this wouldn't happen. But if you were kind of pure, maybe young enough not to know all the, the behind the scenes, did this seem like a turning point? And then, oh no, Hal it didn't turn a corner after all. I want to know if anyone thought this was a real possibility. Even after everything he'd done, I think that's that's maybe the the big, the crucial point. It's like with everything he's done, can he really turn the corner so quickly? <laughs> Can't wait to hear who, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're not going to hear a lot of, yeah, I thought he was great. I don't think we're going to hear any of them. <laughs> we'll see. Are there any little bits in the issue that you want to spotlight? First of all, I really enjoyed the issue. I love these passing of the torches. You know, I've we're seeing a lot of them recently. With uh, the Hawkeye series and and with the Black Widow movie. And we see a lot of these passing of the torches. And here having Kyle being victorious in this fight where we even see old school Al Jordan with the old suit and everything. Because I really dig that moment where Kyle decided to give him the ring. I mean, I know I laughed at it a little bit. I was like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. But it is kind of stupid, but it's not really stupid. It's naive. Kyle is, I think, somebody who who sees the good in people. And he actually saw the good in, in Hal. And that moment kind of showed us what kind of superhero he was. I enjoyed everything from this comic. Well, from the moment that you mentioned where he becomes Green Lantern again, one of the things I like is the, the meta commentary. Because <laughs> he says... Well, it probably it was probably bound to happen sooner or later anyway. You know, like he's conscious that replacements don't last, that these these legacy heroes come back. It's it's a very very much a meta commentary. Oh yeah. I like that moment because it happened to so many other characters and it will happen with Green Lantern eventually. Yeah. And a lot of people criticize this, you know. Same thing with Barry Allen. Why do we need Barry Allen back? It's just because some, certain writers have a fetish for the characters they were reading when they were kids, and they want to bring those back, even at the cost of current continuity or diversity characters. I don't think that's always the, the right move, especially when the death or here the fall of a character was so important to the storylines. Yeah. I don't think you can undo that as easily as, as they've often done. What else is in here? When they're fighting, what, you know, when he attacks them again, and he's Green Lantern and Kyle is... Joe Schmo. Green Lantern says, or Hal says, you're just a kid in a leather jacket, to which, which yeah. I thought, yeah, like most superheroes in the 90s. So <laughs> so that's not going to stop him. And he gets the, the ring again because the ring 
rejects Hal. You know, that's not real. Like, there, there's a little moment yeah. there where Hal says, you know, mm, normally nobody should have been able to take the ring away. But mm-hmm. um, the reason that he can is we can understand that, no, you've been rejected by your ring. Kyle is the true wielder of that ring, the true ring bearer, and gets to take it. So I like that a little bit as well. I also love uh, how Kyle accepts the sacrifice. He's being told by Hal that Hal can bring his girlfriend back. And Kyle, you know, he gets it. It's not worth it. Yeah, he's going to gain a little something by himself and he's going to have his girlfriend back, but it's not the way. It's just not the way. Yeah, I get Alex back and my life back and I don't have to be this superhero thing, which for him is probably like the last couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. This is like his third fight, probably from his perspective. <laughs> it's like his third fight and his girlfriend's dead and that's been his career to date. So whatever I give up, I, I'm not giving up something that I've been too invested in as yet. But what is this going to mean for the rest of the universe? Who else is going to lose something? Yeah. For my happiness, what am I trading? You know, what is this decision going to mean or cost other people? And that's where he makes I, or really a selfless decision. And you know what I like about having this as the zero issues? That very much the zero, zero issues are, let's retell an origin or uh, it's going to be for some of these series, the you know, number one. It's number zero, but it's going to be like the number one. This is the start of an era. Now, the era started with Green Lantern number 50 or 51, all you know, in a way, uh, with the other one yeah. ending in 50. But the fact that they confirm Kyle as Green Lantern makes a, a powerful point where it's not just the start of a new Green Lantern. We've had that six months before. This is the confirmation that this is here to stay and I don't feel that it's obnoxious. Sometimes it's obnoxious, this kind of stuff, where they go, you know, where some character says whether or not, you know, you like it, I'm the new guy, you know. And sometimes you'll have a character say yeah. something like that. In Doctor Who, the sixth Doctor was very much the, the Doctor that nobody liked during the television yeah. era. I uh, only liked him better when, you know, when he was doing audios and whatnot. But in the television era, nobody liked the character and they made him unlikable. And he says, he has a line in the first serial where he says, I am the doctor, whether you like it or not. These kinds of statements can work if you like the character. But if you dislike the character, they're just obnoxious. They're just the writer hitting you over the head with their decision and their little pet fetish or whatever. They think they're so hot. It's just like somebody throwing it in your face. I don't feel that way about this issue. In fact, this is the the most positive I've ever felt about Kyle Rayner or this early era of the character. Page 21 is a beautiful page where there's the destruction of Oa and the already, I guess, a rebirth of a, a Green Lantern of this hopeful hero in almost a fetus position. It's almost like Oa's giving birth to this new Green Lantern. It's a big ovum. And, and he's, he's covered in some sort of slime, green slime or energy, I guess. So yeah. it's really bringing out, and then in the next page, he's fully formed and he's himself in, in the costume that we know him for. But in yeah. those moments, I, maybe they're trying also to do, like, we don't know who survived this. It's supposed to be like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, so to the end, they have uh, maybe some readers guessing as to whether Hal will return. No, interesting. Super interesting. So based on this one issue, would you have kept reading Green Lantern? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I probably would have bought the, like the back issues. I would have started with, uh, with Kyle number one. Yeah, and I wasn't reading Green Lantern in this era. I'd stopped reading all the Green Lantern-related books, I don't know, maybe a year before this. 
or something, maybe, maybe less, maybe eight months before all this, I quit all the Green Lantern-related books that we're covering today. But reading this, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board with Cal Rayner. I like this issue. I thought the humor worked. I thought the drama worked. I thought the uh, action worked. I liked the character much more than I thought I would based on, you know, my 25-year-old memories. Well, that's a good thing. What no one realized at the time, of course, was that the destruction of Oa at the dead center of the universe would cause a rift that led into the Marvel Universe, <laughs> which we can see as a result of Zero Hour weakening the multiversal walls, maybe? I don't know. The result is that Green Lantern, Silver Surfer, Unholy Alliances, prestige format book by the, actually the normal Green Lantern team of creators that explores Parallax's very next move and uh, is also a secret lead-in to the DC versus Marvel event. What? Yes, uh, as we'll find out. So Green Lantern, Silver Surfer, Unholy Alliances by Ron Mars and Daryl Banks and also Terry Austin on inks here. The cyborg Superman accidentally finds himself in the Marvel Universe where he tries to recreate War World by destroying a planet and committing genocide. The Silver Surfer shows up too late to stop him, but before he can capture him, Parallax shows up seeking revenge for the cyborg's part in the destruction of Coast City. The surfer gets in the way and Cyborg escapes, but Parallax appeals to the surfer's own need for redemption to convince him to help, then shares in the power cosmic to undo the apocalypse caused by Cyborg as proof of his intentions. What if all of Galactus's lunches could be restored? Hmm? Meanwhile, in the DCU, <laughs> Green Lantern Kyle Rayner faces Galactus's old herald Terax before Thanos shows up to betray him. The Mad Titan spins a yarn about saving two universes from Parallax, which convinces him to help Thanos, though I think he's wary. Thanos needs the GL ring to unlock Oa's energy and brings them both to the center of the universe where Thanos has built a platform to harness the power and act as a bridge between universes. Whatever he's doing, Parallax and the Surfer can sense it and off they go, just as Kyle learns that he's been played and that Thanos intends to sacrifice both universes to his lover, Death. So it's Parallax versus Thanos and Kyle versus the Silver Surfer in a Marvel-style misunderstanding. Thanos wants to destroy everything. Hal wants to recreate everything. So at least they're at cross-purposes. The heroes join forces and Kyle uses his ring to absorb both villains' power and shares the load with the Surfer before he explodes. The rift closes, sucking everyone back to their universe. And back in New York, Kyle doesn't notice a cardboard box glowing. And that's the DC versus Marvel rift that's going to... Again, let's look at a cover here. It's a double, you know, the prestige format goes all the way to the back as well. I love it. I mean, I'm a sucker for these types of things. So, you know, you're, you're not going to get anything uh, <laughs> anything objectively important from me. I love seeing Green Lantern and Silver Surfer on the same cover. It's a very Marvel Universe type setting. Uh, you know, with a lot of planets or, or moons or everything in the background, big explosions. I think it looks great. I didn't read this one at the time because I wasn't a Green Lantern fan, although I did like the Silver Surfer. But yeah, they're coming at us and there's a lot of explosions and stuff. And maybe that's the rift in the background. So maybe we are Thanos and Parallax. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 maybe. Uh, back in, this is what, uh, 95? Uh, Silver Surfer was very popular in 95. Didn't he have a uh, cartoon series out in uh, in these years? Our friend Marty 
from Lonely Hearts, a big fan of the Silver Surfer because of that cartoon. So the cartoon series started in in 98. It's just a couple of years later, but of course, I mean TV is always after the comic. So I think I think Silver Surfer was uh was pretty much on everybody's radar back then. I was reading the Surfer series in the 80s, when it was like Steve Englehart and Ron Lim. In the 90s, I wasn't reading any Marvel comics much at all, so I'm not sure where he was at that point, but certainly it's a character that I've enjoyed over the years on and off. The story itself, it starts a bit rough for me, because the captions on the first page are confusing. If you're going to show Cyborg Superman for a whole page before the Surfer appears... Now, even if the captions are kind of whitish blue, and anyway, Kyle's are also kind of whitish blue. Yeah. They should have been green, maybe. Well, you're liable to think it's the character you're seeing. That's his thoughts. But it's not. It's the surface. So I had to go back a page and start over. A, yeah. a bit of a bit of a rough spot there. Yeah. It was exactly the same exactly really? the same thing for me. Yeah. I thought it was the thoughts of of cyborg superman or this cyborg person i I'm, i wasn't even sure it was a cyborg it was, it was just a big red cape so it could have been basically anybody and all of a sudden i see it's oh it's the surfer so i kind of had to restart so yeah kind of a false start on that one yeah i guess at the end we're supposed to maybe think that the cyborg was sent back to the dc universe but there's no confirmation of that so that's a a loose end that he escapes but Nobody ever catches him. Like, his evil is yeah. undone. That's one of the things that we were talking about earlier about Parallax and whether or not undoing things is, makes sense. Here he undoes, he uses the power cosmic to undo the genocide that the cyborg caused. And But the cyborg's escaped. And it's not like the cyborg didn't commit genocide. Yeah, exactly. He did. It was undone. So if the evil is undone, is, is now the cyborg not guilty of anything? No, he's still guilty of genocide, <laughs> even though there's no yeah. proof of his crime. So, I mean, it's that's the kind of logic that we were discussing earlier, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, we're saying, is a crime still a crime if there's no proof of that crime? And I think the answer is always yes. It happened. I mean, somebody did yeah. commit it, even though somebody undid it. It's a little bit like uh, attempted murder is a crime, even though you didn't commit murder. So, yeah. yeah. And to the question, if a tree falls in the woods and <laughs> nobody's there to hear it, did it commit a crime? And the answer is yes. It, it did. Batman can go and get vengeance on those woods. <laughs> so one of the things, uh, Thanos shows up in that big chair, which yeah. uh, I found funny because, uh, I mean, it looks like he shops at the same chair emporium as Metron does. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the little skull on it, but it's basically Metron's chair, I felt. Here, Parallax survived the destruction of Oa. Right. And mm -hmm. regardless of the fights that we see, Terax and all of this stuff is just like to buy time. I feel like the fight with Terax is just, I don't know what, you know, it's padding. You know, we had like these secondary villains and we had like the cyborg. Okay, let's have Terax. And it might be for these people who don't know who Thanos is. Um, and well, if they don't know who Thanos is at this point <laughs> during the whole Infinity Gauntlet era of stuff. <laughs> They're not going to know who Terax is. <laughs> well, exactly. So it was just like a little bit of a, you know, a power gauge where Terax comes in. He's a powerful guy. He has an axe. He starts a fight with Green Lantern. And then Thanos comes in and just slaps around Terax. And so he's much strong. He's just a bigger fish. So I think that was the point. But it's very unnecessary. Speaking of unnecessary, back to Parallax, when he sort of explains himself to the surfer. Now, it works because 
the surfer will respond to how do we make things right after having done questionable things, because that's also the surfer's story. He helped Galactus, and then he felt badly about it, and, you know, now he's trying to basically redeem himself by doing good acts and and not being in service of Galactus. Even though when he was in service of Galactus, he tried his best to steer Galactus towards planets without sentient life, I guess. You know, you know, he's still guilt-ridden, and he sees that in Hal Jordan, sure. But the way it's played, I feel like Hal is a little bit too eager to be honest. Or I guess, you know what? He's always been honest. That the, the two reasons the ring picked him in the first place was bravery and honesty. So maybe that's what it is. But Maybe, maybe. But he just admits to it. Maybe I wouldn't have gone into so much detail if I were Hal. As you know, I'm trying to convince this <laughs> hero to help me and to lend me his power. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have gone into all the, the terrible stuff I've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He goes at the, into too much information territory very yeah. quickly. It's, it's stuff that the reader needs to know if the reader hadn't read. Like if you're a Silver Surfer fan and a Marvel reader, you don't know anything about Zero Hour or who this Parallax thing is or whatever it is. So you need yeah. this information. It's just, you know, really, is that the best (laughs) way to go about it? But I like my explanation that Hal is essentially an honest person, whether or not he's fallen, he's still not a liar. Yeah, yeah, no, it it makes sense. He's never lying. That kind of makes him ruthless in a way. You know, in, in this case, he just basically takes the power cosmic. He tells the truth, his truth, with his feelings but the end game is basically getting the surfer to hand over the power cosmic and it works. And it's basically the same thing happens on Thanos's side. That's how he gets Kyle to work with him. Well, actually Thanos pretty much lies. Yeah. He's the liar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're yeah. opposites in a way. They're both cosmic villains, but they are opposites in that. Like I said, like one wants to create in his image, yeah. which is problematic. And the other one wants to destroy you know, which yeah. is not good. You know, I like how Kyle says something like, well, you don't exactly have a trustworthy face. <laughs> no kidding. But then he accepts <laughs> it like, okay, this guy's from another universe and maybe they have, you know, he could be a good guy. I have no reason to believe. It would be prejudice to think that this guy yeah. is a villain just because of his look. Yeah, because he's purple and he looks mean. And there's a skull on his chair. Are we the baddies? <laughs> you know, it's, it's that <laughs> sketch. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I like is that when they're having this discussion, Kyle and Thanos, Kyle creates a chair. Like a, He's got a folding chair with his iconography on it that he creates out of, uh, you know. And to me, it's like, oh, this is such a great human moment because I would always be creating chairs like superhero (laughs) action is always everybody's standing or crouching weirdly. I mean, that's really hard on the knees and the back and (laughs) you know, you're always standing, uh, you know, like get a load off. And I like it when I see like guy Gardner's done this. I think there's a moment in legends where he's just sitting in a green chair. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? You know, if you can create your own chair, let's, I feel like maybe, that's why most superheroes fly. I'd probably flying. You're weightless, and it's it's a load off in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why Black Adam just never walks. But here, like the chair, the folding chair, and it's also it's got his logo on it and everything. So Kyle is very much a designer. He draws, but much of what he draws is design. And we see him here working on, you know, like a sign for a a coffee place or a restaurant or something. Then there's the big 
confrontation, basically. You know, like both heroes get betrayed or realize. It takes a little while for the surfer, you know. He's taken in because Parallax has cre- recreated a planet and something. Like, he seems like a good guy. Uh, and so that's why he's going to fight Kyle. But Kyle, strapped into some sort of chair, gets the, the ring power sucked out of him. He's got to face facts that Thanos is not good. Yeah. You know, and then Thanos even explains he's got his villainous monologue about sacrificing universes to lady death and so she can't ignore me anymore not if i kill two universes yeah well you know it's (laughs) i i love that his motivation i mean his motivation in somebody else's heart or mouth or life would be the most beautiful of motivations he's doing it for love But he's nuts. Yeah, I was missing that from Infinity War Endgame. You know, it's like, I, yeah, it's interesting. I like what they ended up doing and everything. But I kind of missed the love affair with death. You know, it, it's still so insane that I kind of wish they could have done that as well. It's insane. It's creepy. It's twisted. The movie Thanos, people would never have said Thanos was right. You know, it's like the movie Thanos is just ambiguous enough that you could say, well, he's not. He's like Parallax here. It's not necessarily villainous, but the means really don't justify the ends. And that's what the Thanos thing was in the movies. In the Marvel comics, you know, he's pretty evil. It's great that he's doing this for love, but destroying universes just for, I mean, to impress. Yeah, to impress. It's not not love in the way that it's, it's not mutual. Like, he's doing this because death can't ignore me anymore. Like, we know those guys. Yeah, yeah, good. they're they're the, the the quote unquote nice guys. Why don't you love me? I'm a nice guy. I'm giving you everything. You're destroying universes, Thanos. Yeah. That's not being nice. no. So it's like somebody was would be insane and would would kill someone to. And we've seen this. Like you know, it's happened. Oh, Stalkers yeah. then do like weird stuff or crime stuff uh, to impress some woman they've never actually met to, you know, like a, a star yeah. or something. Uh, yeah. That's what Thanos is. Yeah. That's just nuts. And and then there's the big fight and it's played on some sort of cosmic stage. And sometimes they're gigantic, like they're gods compared to Kyle and, and the silver surfer. I like this because it really, it shows in the big fight in the big epic fight, they're showing the, the actual stakes. I recreate Oa. I destroy Oa. I recreate Coast City. I destroy Coast City. Instead of fighting yeah. each other, they're basically creating, destroying places, other things. Uh, but it, that is exactly what each of their agenda is. Yeah. At the end of days, these guys are both nuts. <laughs> one is creating, one is destroying. But the the purpose of this is to fill their own void. And that essentially is so egotistical it's so self-centered that it can't be good at at the end like for what normally would be a one-off and out of continuity and i'll speak to that Mm -hmm. there is an effect on the characters like the silver surfer had been his power had been drained at this point he wasn't full powered but because he absorbs all the energy that the villains had he's restored so presumably in the comics afterwards he was full strength, and this story did happen, you know, in his continuity. It counts. Uh, yeah. And the, the, th- the same thing with Kyle. I looked into it, but the story is referenced later. In uh, Parallax Emerald Knight, Hal Jordan mentions that he pursued the cyborg across the universe and even into another. So, in other words, this happened. And Access, the character co-owned by DC and Marvel that comes out of DC versus Marvel, appears in Green Lantern number 87. So, that event 
also is canonical. And this leads into it. The box at the end is supposed to be a precursor to what's going to happen in a couple months, you know, with DC versus Marvel. So normally you'd say, like, oh, Superman meets Spider-Man. That didn't really happen. It's a fun story, but it doesn't happen on any Earth. It's just like a made-up world for them to meet. And so yeah. it is for any crossover between companies that you care to mention. But this one, this one really did happen and tells uh-huh. us that Marvel exists within the same multiverse as DC and vice versa. And that is wonderful. I love it. I love how it has an actual effect. I love how we see parallels, you know, we see parallel lines created by Thanos and Hal Jordan at Parallax. And although they have quite the opposite in motivation, they are doing the same thing. So, yeah, I I really like this one, too. I got to say, as far as being connected to Zero Hour, it's not just the villain of Zero Hour. It's a second shot at recreating the universe, this time by stealing power from the the Silver Surfer. uh, And then it just, again, it doesn't work out. And, of course, Green Lantern and Silver Surfer will meet again in DC versus Marvel and have to fight. (gasps) Spoilers. 20-year-old spoilers. I'm not going to tell you who wins. Uh, We'll take a short break when we come back. We'll talk about Dark Stars and Guy Gardner. In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire and Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire and Water podcast network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel team-up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain team-up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW team-up. Only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're back and continuing our discussion on the zero issues adjacent to the Green Lantern side of things. And next is Dark Stars, of which Jon Stewart is a member. So that's and it's also like one of these cosmic police forces parallel to the Green Lantern Corps. And since there's no Green Lantern Corps anymore, they're kind of it. It's them and Legion. So uh, we are between issues 24 and 25 of that series, which ends with number 38. So it's still got more than a year to go after this. So uh, Dark Stars number zero by Michael Jan Friedman, Mike Collins, and Ken Branch. It's called Wayward Son. Farron Kolos returns to his home planet of Zamba for the first time since he became a Dark Star, hoping to get back into his family's good graces before going off to reclaim his place among the Dark Stars. He tells his grandfather his life story, but also how the controllers created a law enforcement force called Nemo to prevent chaos from reaching their world, how Nemo evolved into the Dark Stars, and how he was recruited after Zamba was attacked by alien invaders, thereby breaking his world's taboo about violence. But He enjoyed putting his life on the line for others and protecting planets like his own, though the bloom was off the rose after one particularly gentle people were exterminated on his watch. Pursuing criminals led him to Earth and to the events told in the series, but he lost his uniform to Donna Troy after being framed and put on trial by the very engineer of the aforementioned genocide. His grandfather can't give him permission to go out and reclaim his Dark Star status, and in fact, can't give him back his place in the family, 
even if he decides to renounce the violence and stay on Zamba. Ferencolos leaves, at least at peace, with his decisions. All right. Uh, we have a cover here by a guest Ooh. artist, Mike Diodato Jr., who would become popular Wonder Woman artist, uh, kind of image style. What do you think of this one? I kind of like it, but it's a, uh, you know, it's a typical pinup poster. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this Dark Star guy back to a wall and shooting stuff. We don't know what he's shooting at. We are only we're only seeing a display of power. It's colorful. It has action, motion, crinkly, electric, fiery stuff coming from hands. It's a nice looking cover. It's very attractive. It just doesn't say a lot about anything other than, you know, the power of people who wear the Dark Star armor or something. Yeah, I agree. And uh, the whole thing with having a darkened brick wall in the back of your character has become a cliche. You know, it was used on famous, like the days of future past and, and there's a Batman one. It just becomes a kind of cliche across many covers. Just putting your hero, he's like his back against the wall. That's what they're saying. His back's against yeah. the wall. And that may be metaphorically what is true of the story. Getting into it, like we didn't know much about the Dark Stars, I gotta say. Like I read the first few issues, but didn't stick with it. And when we read the uh, the Zero Hour tie-in, we were just like a bit mystified. Who are these people? <laughs> you know, what's happening? It was okay. This issue retells all of the past issues, at least the ones that, that Ferran Colos was involved in. Like, I like the, the stuff leading up to that. But once we hit the page where it's retelling the Dark Star series... That's when I was just like, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. It's like, you kind of lost me there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's your... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't read Dark Star. I don't care much for Dark Stars. I see them as the cheap replacement for the Green Lantern mm-hmm. Corps. Ah, this comic book telling me how, you know... This guy was a member, and now he's trying to get... I don't even care. That bad. (laughs) Well, this was a hard read for me. I just read two great Green Lantern books, and then I drop on this one. And I'm, I'm just looking at it. I'm thinking, why are you trying to push this world building down my gullet? All these weird names and a history of something I... Don't see going forward. It's like going on a date. I, with this book, I was on a date with someone with bad breath and had nothing to offer. I just wasn't interested. <laughs> it was, I read it, but. <sighs> well, one of the things that is problematic about the Dark Star series, and I think we might have mentioned this the last time. If not here, it was another comic. But I mean, the point is the same is that there are so many gobbledygook alien names and that is a major impediment to reading these types of comics when everybody's got like it's bad enough when you look at like legion books at least it's a corrupted normal day name like it's a name that we'd have today but it's it's spelled differently or something at least there's that in this case i mean when they're going on and on and it's just captions at some point 
it's just exposition. I mean, if this was a movie, it would be a bad Christmas movie where people are shopping for trees and giving us all the backstory in exposition. You're big on the comparisons uh, on this one. So, you know, I mean, Huva Jettiger, Marinin Dethelis. Who are these people and why are they being name dropped? And how am I going to ever remember those names? Yeah. I mean, I like the backstory of if Ferran Colos is going to be Dark Star. Like be restored to his position. So this is maybe like a like a number one issue or re number one. You know, let's get to know this yeah. character before he becomes the hero of the piece again. So that's fine, okay. and I like seeing all that backstory. Uh, I like how there's a cultural misunderstanding at the beginning where his people is so peaceful. When the other dark stars see them with spears, they react violently, but it's just. Uh, like a peaceful Olympics type competition that uses spears or yeah. javelins, that kind of cultural misunderstanding would happen all the time in the cosmic space, you know, in, in Green Lantern yeah. stories and yeah. Dark Star stories, Legion stories. So I like seeing that once he starts telling the story to this grandfather, it's almost all montage. Yeah. So it's either splash pages or multiple panels with captions. So that makes it Less than interesting, maybe. I do like page five when the montage starts. Like, that's a strong image, a strong panel placement. And the way his face is in there with this, you know, with outer space in the shadows of his face. Like, I like that. But after that, I don't think it's quite as strong. The Kenori, who were the aliens that attacked his planet, look just like Kuns. So why not make them Kuns? Was my... Yeah. Reaction, And then you've got, when we're talking about like bad alien names, the peaceful people who get uh, obliterated, they're called the Genuineans. Yeah, yeah, I guess they're genuine. I guess. The Genuineans. They had one hit R&B single <laughs> in 1997. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what do we know about these people? They're, they're very genuine and sincere people. And then they get all destroyed. <laughs> I, I like the look of their culture and their, you know, it looks like a very nice planet and they, they are cute in terms of alien yeah, yeah. design. But the name, it's a little bit like how this is. Anima was a bit like this, you know, like there's so many names and yeah. words that you don't understand without context and that are, are hard to integrate so that from issue to issue, would you remember the names of the characters? I felt like I needed to take notes. And did you? I didn't take notes because... I mean, comic books should be fun <laughs> and not homework. And uh, it kind of feels like homework, although it is kind of homework because we are doing a podcast about comic books. But I mean, do it's, the work. It's it was too tedious. I, I'm glad you're doing most of this work. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing the synopsis. Yeah, but well, based on this one issue, then you would not keep reading Dark Stars. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> oh, not only would I not read it, I would probably comment in the comment page. You know the letters to DC Comics? Moogla mail. mail. Moogla mail. <laughs> whatever, whatever that means. He's again, even the, the letter column has a weird alien name. Yeah. And this guy, this one person, I don't, I'm going to find his name. Damien J. Towell from Farmingdale, New York, says, Dear Paul. Moogla Mail is a good title. No, it's not. <laughs> well, it probably makes sense in the context of the series. No, it's not. I mean, if you were reading at the time, probably it yeah, made probably. sense. It doesn't make sense in the context of this issue. Which... No, of course not. <laughs> so I think this one has a real barrier, even in the... I like I, 
I think it does a good job of recapping everything. A little dull, but I'm kind of invested in, in Ferran Colos a little more than you are after this. And, and maybe I knew him before. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah. there is a real barrier to understanding and getting invested into this. So I would agree oh, that I yeah. would not keep reading Dark Stars, even though I'm a little bit more positive on it than you are. I, I think this was a an interesting way to, to do the recap and make it personal yeah, and yeah. give us like an alien culture. Uh, and at the end of this, he cannot return to, he could return to his people, but he would have to give up his status as a Dark Star. And by this point, he has rejected his society's non-intervention policy, I guess you could call it. Yes, yeah. it requires violence, but he sees it as... You can do good by having agency, and his people have sort of rejected agency. So I, I like all of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know what? You don't have to backtrack you know, if you don't want to. I don't. I'm not. I'm not backtracking. I think if you read Dark Stars and you know all of this, just seeing this comic book, you're invested already, right? Well, the, the question that we always put is: if this is a zero issue and supposed to be a jump-on point, then if you have never read Dark Stars, would you read it? And I think that's a failure on that point. Oh, yeah. It's big time failure. And on page 19, we have Hawkman and Hawkgirl uh-huh. in there. So that just did me in. I think that's where the hate comes from. <laughs> oh. It's their fault. <laughs> they started. They started nothing. I, I kind of like Hawkman. Now. Oh, you heard it here first. Kind of like. It's a step up. I still need to be convinced, but, you know, it's fine. And, well, then there's Guy Gardner. If we'll move on. Well. Uh, whose journey we've talked about before. No longer Green Lantern or even the wielder of a yellow ring. He's warrior and has recently been gifted with a kind of transforming armor. But Zero Hour changed that into something different. Skin markings that give him the same abilities. And we're about to get a look at it in action. So warrior number zero sits between 24 and 25. Just like Dark Stars. They started at the same time. And in this case, we'll reach issue 44 before being canceled in 1996. So it lasts six months longer than Dark Stars. Gargardner Warrior number zero is by Bo Smith, Mitch Bird, and Dan Davis. It's called Once Upon a Time. Guy Gardner is looking at a 3D recording of his recent adventures. Don't ask me how this is happening. And he doesn't remember it happening that way. He does remember drinking the warrior waters in the Naba jungle. But instead of growing a red armor, he's thrown into an alien cyber reality where he fights a beefy alien and proves himself worthy of the warrior powers, which are now the ability to create weapons out of his own body. After he defeats the aliens, he's told his secret life story that before the Green Lantern Corps, the planet Voldar was home to a warrior race dedicated to protecting its quadrant and others from evil, in particular uh, against the savage Tormox, who reduced the race to a mere handful of refugees. These Valdarians went around the universe exchanging their technology for the greatest warrior's DNA, then recruited and transformed the best from each sector. But their own race was dying, and on Earth they found a compatible species to continue their actual lineage. But because of a jealous shaman's interference, the merger went wrong and produced a monstrous offspring. Despite their failure, the Valdarians settled in the Naba jungle to do more research, and the merger was accomplished over centuries, though the aliens would not live to see it. Guy Gardner is the final result of this incubation, which explains his warrior's instinct and his search for his true power, which he finally receives. Guy rejects this new heritage, so the Valdarian program dims his memories until he can accept them, and in so doing, manages to retcon history without 
actually contradicting any stories. And I'm sorry, they're saying they change history. Like, there's a retcon, but everything we've seen of Guy actually did happen. It's a clever, uh, clever way of doing it. I think so. It's like you could have said, okay, now history is retconned and we're retelling a new origin because they are doing that. You know, at the same time, you can read all of Guy Gardner stories and there's no contradiction. It's just he never knew about this. And even the Red Armor was just a, a, a an in-between state because he couldn't accept that he was transforming his own limbs. So yeah. they made it an armor. And then during Zero Hour, zap, the real powers come out. But it's kind of a coincidence. Yeah, it's a clever way of doing it. It's uh, the Pokemon way. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like Guy Gardner evolved. It's true. I mean, he, he was Quirtle. And now? And now he's, he's Blastortus or Blastoise. That's not in my culture. <laughs> but after Zero Hour, maybe it is. I just didn't know. <laughs> yeah. So let's look at the cover and then we'll talk about the interiors. The cover is very, very colorful. Lots of explosions and all types of stuff going on. But there's some weird shading and there might be some metallic stuff in there. And the way his hand has this blaster coming out of it and his other hand is a big mace with ball and it's super dynamic it's kind of weird but in a good way it's just so colorful it's just yeah, i think the, the the special effects kind of overwhelm it a little bit but uh like the way they use maybe the silver ink i don't know if it's part of the blue effects it kind of feels like these old school these big posters my uncle had my uncle had a poster of uh oh, i think it was led zeppelin and it was these uv light posters where you know it's just a poster with colors but you put uv light on it and it, and it all of a sudden kind of glows and is kind of weird and trippy the cover kind of reminds me of that okay yeah I can see it. Oh, I'm seeing a little detail here I had noticed where that gun that he has coming out of his hand, it's also like ejecting shell casings on the side. Yeah. Coo-coo-coo. So, yeah. It's a very you know, 90s extreme. Let, let's call it what it is. Even though the artwork is a little more cartoony than that. Oh, even though the, the ball for a hand is straight out of Metamorpho, basically stealing Metamorpho's stick. I really think that this is kind of stealing or trying to grab a bit of a bit of venom's thunder you know venom was big in the 90s and still is yeah. don't get me wrong no, you're right there's a venom can also like tr transform you know his body becomes stuff he has these you know, or, or carnage you know he can have these big blades for hands and stuff like that and this is a new take on it. and there was a marvel character like a, a daredevil villain in the late 80s Bushwhacker? That's such a bad name. <laughs> like his arm can turn into a gun and that kind of stuff. So it always reminded me of this as well. I mean, if a guy can turn into a gun, that is so pure 90s. I mean, that is the definition of extreme. And it is a very gory issue. Oh, yeah, big time. They're trying to get away with it by having most people be aliens. And so it's not like human anatomy. And sometimes they can go further with it. But no, I say that. And even so, when they're uh, on uh, ancient Earth and there's like a woman gets injected with the whatever, the baby, <laughs> with the Voldarian. Yeah. DNA and she's pregnant and then a creature comes out of her and her dead body is very graphic. Yeah. So uh, it's not just aliens. You know, this is very, very gory. For, it is. For a it is. code approved. Is it code approved? Yeah. For a code approved comic, I think this is very gory. 
when it comes to all these names and places and alien races and everything, this comic almost had me going the uh, the Dark Star's way. I started reading it and I was like, oh my God, do I have to take notes again? <laughs> and then it kind of, it, it's like somebody read my mind and it came back to earth. And all of a sudden it got into stuff that I, not that I could understand, but stuff that all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. So this has humans in it and it has like a human lore to it now. And I got kind of interested Okay. Because it has some kind of human lineage, right? So I kind of put aside all the, I mean, I got the gist of all the alien stuff and how these warriors were there to, you know, protect everybody around them. And that's their reason for being. And they found that they could create uh, these warriors for humans. And when they tried it, it went horribly wrong. It took millennia to make it work. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, so the exposition wasn't as bad, but they almost had me going out there. I was like, oh, not again. And then interspersed with Guy Gardner fighting with his new abilities. Quite honestly, if this wasn't about Guy Gardner, I'm not sure I would have been, I, I probably, I'd probably be pissed off of, uh, as much as for Dark Stars, but because... <laughs> I know Guy Gardner. I mean, he's one of those characters that could be warrior and then be a Green Lantern all over again and be a Red Lantern. And I mean, this character is a character, even though he was and still is a superhero. Guy Gardner is just Guy Gardner. If you can put a cape on him, you can put a ring on him. He's just going to be Guy Gardner. And that's pretty much why I, I kept on reading, really. I mean, this is a very uh, squishy power that he gains here. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at page nine and where he, the first time that he changes his hand into a gun. Like, forget Wolverine going snicked when the claws come out. Like, this goes slip, slurp, <laughs> splack. There's going to be a lot of sound effects in the series, probably. It's very noisy power. <laughs> Yeah. One of the things I do question is the Voldarians, what are they? Because are they semi-human? Are they compatible with humanity? Okay, if they are, what's with all the other guys that don't look human at all? You know, uh, and like the human guy who explains everything. Like he he's wearing some sort of headdress that recalls a cobra, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And then the monster that the, the one, the warrior that guy fights looks like a kind of a snake with arms and legs. And then the jungle is called the Naba jungle, which I'd first I'd read as the Naga jungle, which would have made more sense because Nagas are... Yeah, snakes. They're, they're snake men, you know, they're snake creatures. Yeah. But no, Naba, that's just nonsense. And then you're looking at what the other ancients, quote unquote, that are potentially in the background in the cyber reality and there's all sorts so it's all the aliens that they ever recruited but then they're they're continuing the lineage of i guess the human guys not clear to me and i imagine that the the thorn dicks or whatever they're called uh, are like an enemy that is coming tormox thor whatever they are Thormach, yeah. yeah they're i mean they attacked they were eating up the whole galaxy we've never heard of them but eventually they will come to earth so yeah. maybe they're very slow but I imagine that guy is going to have to face them eventually. I guess. I never really read 
any of this. No. I, this, this is all really new to me. Same. We, I mean, at the end, you were talking about the letters page earlier. Guy talk, much better letter column name. And in this case, it's fun to read because Guy Gardner answers his own letters page. <laughs> that's funny. So that's always a fun conceit when like a character from the series is actually, you know, instead of the editor voice, it's the character's voice. That can be fun. And I think that probably... As very encouraging to readers to write in, because then you've got the character speaking to you if if they publish it. You know, it's fun. Yeah. So, based on this issue, I mean, this is a new era for Guy Gardner. Would you have kept reading it? Because it's Guy, I would. Okay. But it would be on the maybe pile. Right. I mean, it would be quickly on the, this better get good quick or it's out pile. Okay. You know? Yeah. Because I, I like Guy. I, I've always liked Guy. I know he's an ass, but I've always liked him. He's on not thin ice, but I'm looking at him. You know, it has to get good quick. I would not. I like the character, but this incarnation of it, I think is a little bit, you know, it's the kind of comics that I don't like. So I would not. All right. We'll take another short break when we return your feedback on our previous episode. Justice League International. Blah, ha, ha, podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blahaha Podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Letters Lost in Time. Letters Lost in Time. Excerpts from your comments on our coverage of the Justice League Zero issues. Oh, my. So listeners who read the Jail series back then all report that Jail Task Force got good after Christopher Priest started writing it, including Michael Bailey, as well as Jeff R., who also admits to hate reading Extreme Justice in part because he was a Firestorm fan. <laughs> That's a danger of like following characters rather than writers yeah. or you know and i i do that also but you just did it with guy gardner i know and i admit to it i admit to it i love these characters i don't care much for the writers and and every time a writer does something wrong with a character i like i i almost blame the character you know and it's it's i have to fix that i have to fix that. <laughs> david ace gutierrez makes a good joke he says when anyone says monarch uh i siscoid go why did you say that name? <laughs> yeah, it's not far off. Chris Franklin, who everyone asking for Starman coverage should look to in the next year, says, when I saw the team lineup post-Zero Hour, even then I thought, really? You recreate the universe and this is your Justice League? <laughs> so he agrees with us. Yeah. Uh, Diablo Frank says, Dan Jurgen's departure from Justice League America was abrupt, but I still struggle to fathom how Brian Augustine came to ask slave labor graphics publisher Dan Vado to write what was once the Vanguard title of DC Comics into oblivion. It was kind of like that hot minute during the New 52 when all of a sudden half the editorial staff of mid-90s Marvel 
Marvel were scripting DC titles. What we really need around here are more architects of the clone saga, said no one. So it was clearly cronyism or utter desperation. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody has photos. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Paul Hicks likes to imagine the condition of the Justice League books was uh, prearranged by Grant Morrison. They slipped the editors some big bucks to run the books into the ground so their overhaul of the title would be a massive success. It, it's similar <laughs> to what slumlords do before a redevelopment. <laughs> Conspiracy. Well, yeah, conspiracy. <laughs> uh, Jimmy McGlinchey says, uh, some of the matters that you queried during the podcast, like why Captain Adam wanted to keep an eye on Wonder Woman's team, why the Master ship was being used, etc., all fell out of Judgment Day, the crossover that occurred exactly before Zero Hour and the Fallout. Captain Adam and Wonder Woman butted heads throughout the series, and at the end, uh, it led to the schism that saw the team split apart. Yeah, I mean, that's no excuse. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a good explanation it's no excuse yeah i understand that's what's happening but yeah and on that note uh we have to mention that the fire and water podcast network has a patreon page so if you like our content please think about making a one-time or a monthly donation the amount of which it's too much too much energy uh yeah. the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards get on the zero list at patreon.com slash fw podcast just like these fine folks did they got on the zero list That means they are going to escape the cataclysmic time wave that's coming from both ends of history. You thought Zero Hour was over? It's not. Jimbal has been saved from the court of Charlemagne, just as it was getting interesting. David Capoon has been saved from Ivy University in the middle of a boring lecture on Dwarf Star Matter. Michael Bailey has been saved from a future where Superman is trapped on War World. Diablo Frank has been saved from the continuity he spawned on the last episode of Who's Editing, and Spindrift Games has been saved from his own but evil Earth 3 apartment. A reminder that you can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow Fire and Water's Facebook page and on Twitter, the account is FW Podcast. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes, Manhunter, Fate, Primal Force, and finally, Starman! <laughs>